Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. They say confidence is the key to many things in life, but when a pandemic brings a city to a lurching halt, how long does it take to bounce back? As restrictions in Melbourne begin to ease and government stimulus payments attempt to stem the bleeding, how will Melbournians regain that spring in their step when it comes to spending? It's a question for a behavioural economist, really. And today we're joined by UTS Professor Michelle Baddeley from the UTS Business School to help us understand why confidence is key. In Melbourne at the moment, obviously with everything going on, I think it would be particularly interesting to talk about business confidence because one of the big issues with this lockdown is that the Victorian public have been subjected to a lot of lockdowns over the last 18 months and they've had quite a significant effect on a lot of people, particularly in their, their confidence in the community and in the ability for Melbourne and regional Victoria to actually stay open and sustain any sort of recovery period without having to go back into a snap lockdown. So just to start off, I was wondering, what have you been observing yourself over the last two or three weeks, particularly with the way that Melbourne has returned to a lockdown and now the Victorian government have announced their new uh, sort of business surplus package to essentially allow mainly medium and small businesses to return to their feet. But in terms of business confidence, what do you think Victorians are thinking at the moment? I mean, business confidence and and what economists refer to as animal spirits, which is a term that originally came from John Maynard Keynes, but behavioural macroeconomists are are using the word a lot now, um, the the impacts on, on pessimism and optimism. So a big driver of, of business activity is the animal spirits of pessimism, of optimism. And so this you know, the repeated the repeated negative news makes hopefulness sort of disappear over time. And so I think it's going to be a really challenging scenario because but, and there's also would be a learning process happening as well. Every time the businesses start to recover and they build up uh, again after the previous lockdown, you know, they, they get to the point where they're expecting lockdowns as, as a sort of fact of life from now on. Uh, so, so that creates big problems. And also, you know, a lot of a lot of small businesses especially will have run down their buffers. So they might have been able to fight their way through one or two lockdowns, but... Um, you know, they, they they will be at the the end of their tether, if you like. But it, it depends on the businesses, of course. It depends on which sector they're in. It depends on whether they can sort of pivot in the way so you know, some restaurants can pivot to takeaway and delivery. So, so it, it would be quite variable. But, yeah, the, the key, I guess, macroeconomic message would be, the, you know, what it's doing to business confidence and, and, and what behavioural macroeconomics refer to as the animal spirits and also encouraging I guess or um, inculcating a, a sense of short termism you know what's the point in planning for the future if we don't know that there's not going to be a whole load of other lockdowns in the next year Is so there... it would have a negative impact on, on business investment I'd hmm. be sure and can you get uh, essentially in economics a phenomenon not dissimilar to one bitten twice shy particularly with yes. consumers yes. Yes, and, and behavioural economists, what would they do it more in the, 
Well, they do it more in the microeconomic context. Microeconomists looking at individual businesses and how they operate talk about learning. So, so behaviourists talk about learning processes, but actually there is something in macroeconomics called adaptive expectations, where pe- where businesses sort of form their expectations on their previous previous errors that they've made, and the essence of that is that that they do become backward looking, and they they do see that things haven't gone well in the past, so they expect them not to go very well in the future as well, and so it sort of builds on itself and creates a past dependence. And when, particularly with the Victorian government's new grant package, a lot of people are saying that there are some businesses that don't even meet the earning threshold in order to be eligible for the grant. So when you think about over the last few years, particularly with phenomena around cryptocurrency and online markets, you've had a lot of people who have moved into the entrepreneurial sector uh, who may not necessarily have a lot of business background, and it's become quite a popular phenomenon. Do you think that that may have a particular effect on people's willingness to actually go out on their own in terms of becoming a sole trader and starting their own business? I would, I would have thought so, because because the other big thing, which you know, is in any part of, of economics, is the impact of risk and uncertainty. So, and there's a large literature in economics on this. In fact, that Uncertainty about the future really slows everything down, and particularly, well, two types of businesses. Yes, the very fragile ones, who you know, the sole trader who's putting all their money into into something. Well, they're they're not going to invest in new businesses. They're not going to build up new businesses because they don't know what what the future holds. Too much uncertainty about the future. The other sorts of businesses that sell a lot from this is the very big businesses that are committing large sums of money, large sunk costs that they can't get back, well, they don't do much business investment in times of great uncertainty as well. So the whole uncertainty thing, whole, you know, the, the problem of uncertainty, people people don't, don't do things when there's a lot of uncertainty about the future because business investment and building up, a, you know, for the, for the sole trader, building up a business, it's about committing your money now in the hope of building up profits in the future from your business activity. But if you're, if you're feeling hopeless about the future... Um, or hopelessness about the future and pessimism, then then you're not going to do that. And and the problem with that is, you know, businesses stop investing, and all, all the multiplier effects that come from business investment in terms of generating employment, getting people spending money, etc., all that goes out the window as well. And how long do you see? Oh, pardon me, I just almost broke a microphone there. <laughs> um, how long? How long do you see the sort of hangover effect? from these lockdowns persisting in Melbourne? Because it obviously isn't clear whether this will be the last lockdown. And in fact, this particular outbreak did ultimately come out of nowhere from hotel quarantine in another state. So it wasn't as if the Victorian people were anticipating a lockdown as they probably had over the last few months. So do you think that the hangover period will persist in, in Victoria where even if the numbers do drop down, and there aren't any fears about a lockdown, that particularly with what's happened with this particular case where it came out of nowhere and suddenly a lockdown was imminent, do you think it'll take quite a long time for Melbournians and Victorians in general to gain back a little bit more confidence in the medium to long term? I really feel for them. You know, it's it's so tough, isn't it, that they have to be going through all of this again. Um, yeah, 
confidence probably won't return until everyone's vaccinated, would be my view, you know, until to, because these cases pop out of nowhere. And it's not always hotel quarantine that's at fault either. It's people who might be exempt from quarantine. That's, you know, some of the New South Wales cases. They thought it might have been people who, who were exempt from hotel quarantine. Um, so it, it could pop up. For all, in all sorts of ways, for all sorts of reasons. I think getting a really good contact tracing system in obviously helps. But, but yeah, I mean, there's no certainty at all. And each time it happens, people's judgment of the likelihood it will happen again will increase. So now everyone, maybe we're going back to a sense of security, oh, it's all over now, we don't have to worry so much anymore, then it comes back. And so they, it, it, it's a very tricky situation. And it's good that money is being, you know, subsidies are there to, to help people. And when you look at America and particularly the vaccine drive that's been taking place mm. over the first few months of the Biden presidency, one of the big factors mm. that the United States are looking at is a almost post-war business boom that they're anticipating yes. off the back of so many people getting vaccinated. And part of that momentum and that optimism is the process of getting your vaccination. It's essentially the way that they're sort of arguing it to the American public and selling it is that once you're vaccinated, you have access and opportunities that people who are not vaccinated do not have. So there's almost a capitalist incentive to it in a way. Um, what do you think of that particular method of encouraging vaccinations with incentives, often mm. with material incentives? Well, as an economist, I have I believe that incentives work, but incentives don't have to be monetary incentives, of course. They can be social incentives. I think I think in terms of the pure economics of it, yeah, you incentivise someone to do something, then they're more, li they're more likely to do it. I guess the the issues come around the ethics of it. You know, is, is it is it fair to penalise people for not getting vaccinated? Um, my in my view is that everyone should be getting vaccinated, but um, there might be you know that that's not a view shared by everyone, even though in my view it's the most obviously sensible thing to do. But um, so there's a, there are ethical questions there, but in purely economic terms, yes. Those sorts of incentives to work well. Well, in the states, they had this lottery, didn't they? And the, I think she was an engineer or someone. She won the, the COVID lottery and was going to spend it on on her education. And that was a lovely story. And she said, oh, "I would have got vaccinated anyway." And so this is just a bonus. But um, that sort of lottery incentive, I thought that was quite a clever idea because it, you know, the trouble, you, you, you know, it sort of it seems benign almost in a way. Is that a uniquely American example that could ultimately only work in America? In, in some sort well, of way, I can't imagine people in the UK or Australia yeah, responding no, no, no. so well no, to that. The, the, what was it in the UK, the bonds? The, I forgot what they were called. They, they used to be in the UK a, a savings mechanism where people didn't earn interest. They won a chance of a prize. Within it years ago, you know, years ago. So it's not peculiarly American. It's something similar to in the UK as well. Do you think that could ever potentially work in Australia, or do you think that? Well, Australians are great gamblers. Mm. Australians are great gamblers. True, true, true. <laughs> 
I, but, I think uh, that's that's actually a very good point. Australians do love a punt. So yeah. there's no greater punt than the our generation's biggest pandemic. Mm, mm. Well, so, I, you know, I wonder if I, I wonder if government would be up for that, but it might be an interesting... And, it, you know, it seemed to work... Well, with the US now, more than 50% of the population are vaccinated, aren't they? And what sort of effect does what's happening in Melbourne have upon the other major capitals because obviously Melbourne and Sydney have always been acknowledged historically as the two great commercial hubs of Australia and with Melbourne going into lockdown does this potentially affect other capital cities in the way that they view mainly Victoria in terms of business opportunities in terms of investment could we potentially see a shift in, in some of that money and that investment into Melbourne potentially moving into the other capitals or other even regional centres potentially? I, I would have thought it, it, it's possible. Yes, I would have thought it's possible because, you know, there, there does seem to be something about Melbourne and it's difficult to know why. I, I read something recently that, you know, in fact, New South Wales and Victoria are very similar in terms of demographics, population density, density, uh, all, all sorts of ways in which they're very, very similar states. But yeah, there seems to be something about Victoria whether, that, that, that makes it more likely, whether it's the health system. I don't know, I couldn't comment on that. But, um, I would have thought that, um, that that could be a problem. And also states are very competitive around COVID, aren't they? Which I don't think it is, it is at all. And um, I, I would hope that other states would just learning lessons and thinking, you know, we just need to be really careful about this. We need to get people vaccinated. We need to make it easy for people and not to think, oh, you know, it's not us. What are they doing wrong? I think it would be the wrong approach to it. And think that a strong COVID response is arguably one of the best ways of selling your state, particularly when borders do eventually open up or at least when international businesses have enough of an incentive to invest in Australia uh, and, and hopefully see a return for their money, which would ultimately require a, a few of the restrictions internationally to open up. But do you think, particularly with the way that New South Wales have handled the virus, and we saw that during the Hunter by-election where mm. the Berejiklian government's response to the COVID-19 outbreak was almost always being cited by voters as the number one reason that they were hoping to return that seat to the government. So is there potentially a very long-term benefit to particularly New South Wales handling of the virus in terms of the confidence that people will have in the state to maintain the status quo and to keep things normal to allow business to flourish? Yes, I think I think that's true. And I think that... Uh in terms of its COVID response, obviously all sorts of other things that governments have to do, but, uh, the Berejiklian government, I think, has done a great job. And I, I think, you know, things like the contact tracing, so that New South Wales app is really easy to use, you know, three clicks and everyone's got a bit now. My friends say, oh, you know, it's, it's no big deal. And and everyone is now in, in reasonably good habit, has reasonably good habits, I think, around it. And, yes, yeah, so I think that, that that's right, Um but there's obviously a lot of political mileage that many governments have had from good COVID responses around the world. So even the UK government, I think Boris Johnson, you know, a recent 
by-election win, local council election win, on the back of how well the UK did on the vaccine rollout. Um, so, so yeah, there's a lot of political um, mileage to be gained from having a good COVID response. Uh, and I would imagine the Berejiklian government will, will do well out of it. But, of course, people's memories are short, though COVID is a bit of an exception probably to that. I don't think people are going to be forgetting about COVID as highly are they? But, um, yes, yeah, so I would agree with that. There you go. It's a bittersweet forecast in many ways, but when a country has handled the pandemic well, the best we can hope for is that some of that management goodwill will rub off on spending habits. As Australia hammers out a trade deal with the UK after the G7 and a potential travel bubble with our neighbour in Singapore, there's hope on the horizon. As for Melbourne, an easing of restrictions will hopefully galvanise the city to get back on its feet and spend money where it matters. Thanks for listening to Think Business Futures, produced and broadcast from the studios of 2SER 107.3 FM in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Catch all our episodes online wherever you get your podcasts. I've been your host, Max Tillman. Catch you next week.